Hi there, this is Seb Lee You're listening to the Creative Coding Podcast. Unbelievably, this is episode 50, but no time for fanfares. We're much too busy making episodes to celebrate it. But uh, on this very special episode, we've got guest Raquel Velez, who works at NPM and is a, a node expert. And she does a lot of robotics. But before we do that, I'm just going to give you a little plug. Um, if you could support us on Patreon, that would be fantastic. Uh, we've got a campaign running at the moment to try and make this podcast a bit more sustainable. Uh, and thanks so much to the people that have supported us so far. But of course, we can do with some more. So if you find out more at uh, patreon.com forward slash creative coding or just go to our website, ccpod.co. While you're at it, you might as well follow us on Twitter, uh, cc underscore pod. And my Twitter handle is seb underscore ly. So let's uh, let's move on to the interview. So this was a couple of weeks ago before, uh, I don't know, you might have seen the news about NPM. Somebody pulled uh, a load of their packages and it caused a few problems in the, in the Node community. But yes, I'll probably be talking about that with Ian uh, next week. But... Nonetheless, Raquel is a super interesting person, really clever, not only working at NPM, but also is really in involved with the NodeBot community and is an expert at using Node.js to control hardware. So it's a really cool interview. But I started the interview by asking Raquel to explain a bit about the background of NPM and exactly what it does. Let's start from the beginning. NPM started out as an open source project and it was mm. um, Isaac Schluter, back in the early, early days of Node was like, okay, there's no way for people to share code. Let's create a package management tool. He called it NPM, which funny enough, doesn't actually stand for anything. So people are like, oh, NPM is the Node package manager. It's like, yes, technically it is, but that's not what it means. And people are like, well, what does it mean? And it doesn't mean anything. Nothing. It means no, that, nothing no, at all. Whoa, hold on. Hold on. You can't, you can't just say that. It's not an acronym. It's not an acronym. He was like, oh, I've just got this brilliant name for it. It's NPM. Yeah, And everyone's exactly. like, well, what does it stand for? He's like, I just picked those num letters at random. Well, so what he would say is like, um, uh, no problem, meatbag. <laughs> and so actually on our website, there's um, in the top left-hand <laughs> corner, we have, we actually let people create acronyms for NPM. And we just, we have like a whole repo of them and you can put in pull requests for it. And so there'll be all sorts of entertaining things like nice panda meatballs or... So are, are, you, you know. <laughs> are you seriously telling me that it's just a coincidence that it also stands for Node Package Manager? Yeah. Is that just a coincidence? It's just a coincidence. Well, because the other thing is that <laughs> because especially over time, it's become less about Node and more about JavaScript. So it's a package manager for JavaScript. Right. And so to call it the Node Package Manager is a little bit misleading because a lot mm. of people are using it for JavaScript. Uh, there's actually a project called Dr. Frankenstyle that uses it for CSS. So you can create multiple CSS modules and then just install what you need for like components. It's like a component style library. And then you can automatically, automagically create your CSS using someone else's components. And then boom, you have a CSS file. Okay, that's that's random. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I mean, all I'm saying that is that sounds it's not really, just for Node That anymore. sounds crazy. That <laughs> sounds like just 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 exactly like the sort of thing JavaScripters would do. <laughs> there are no real rules about how to put anything into into like what is allowed in NPM okay. except all right, for. So, so, but like, you were saying saying yeah. about how the so it started us off as open source and right. then and then and what then, where did you lot come in? Right. So uh, the the company was formed when. Isaac could not by himself maintain the registry. So the registry was being served by, there were some donated machines. And the thing is, the problem was that the number of users using Node and thereby NPM was growing exponentially. Like literally, if you look at the graph, it's that hockey stick that all VCs are just desperate to see. And it's just like huge. And so Isaac was like, well, I need somebody, I need to pay people to do this work because nobody wants to do this work for free. Open source really, really depends on having people loving open source and doing things for free and volunteering their time. But nobody wants to volunteer their time to keep servers up and running. Like that's the most boring thing ever. So he was like, well, can we actually make, can we get money to pay people to do this? And so that was kind of the start of everything. And so 
Mm-hmm. He started talking to VCs, and then they were like, oh, my God, you have a hockey stick graph. Here's all of our money. Um, and so he created the company with the major, like, everybody's next question is, well, then how does NPM make money? Um, it's great. I didn't have to ask the question. Yeah, you good. didn't have to at all. Um, and, and the truth is, basically, it's, it's the exact same thing as the GitHub model. If you want something private, you pay us money. Very simple. So people want private packages. People want to be able to handle packages via their organizations and teams. So you can do private packages. You can do organizations that with, has team handling and packages that are private specifically to the team. And then we also have an enterprise option called NPM Onsite, which basically allows you to keep it behind your firewall. Right. So it is a for-profit business. It's not yes. charity or a foundation or anything. It's, Correct. it's not like Apache or something like that. It's yeah. genuinely a startup. It is genuinely a startup. Now that said, uh, there have been, so there's the name NPM is a bit misleading in the sense that people use the word NPM to refer to lots of different things. So there's NPM, the registry, which is where all the packages live. There's NPM, the CLI, which is the part where you say NPM install. Uh, there's NPM, the website, which is what I work on, um, which is where you go to see what's going on and do discovery, et cetera. And then there's NPM, the company. So the CLI is 100% billion open source. Everything else has some proprietary stuff specific to the MP- to the company, or maybe it's closed source or whatever. But we're in conversations to look into the possibility of maybe turning NPM, the CLI, into a foundation or have it part of a foundation or something like that. And basically saying that even though we have this company, the company will not own necessarily. So like the nice thing about the NPM Foundation would be that the community gets to keep that. And no matter what happens to NPM, the company, should it get bought or fall apart or whatever, the actual part that people rely on for their open source projects will not ever be like that gets to be owned by the community. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So how how big is the company? (laughs) Um, we're at 27 people now. Right. It's quite sizable. Uh, I've been there since day one. I was the first non-co-founder employee. So, Brilliant. Yeah. So I've got to watch this thing grow. <laughs> and how, how long ago was that? When did you start? About two years ago, actually. Uh, some of our listeners probably haven't even used Node before, right? Mm-hmm. So this might just be kind of really confusing. How do you explain Node to people? The way I like to explain it is it's JavaScript. On the server, <laughs> which mm. really just to me is is another way of saying like uh, everyone here, at least the listeners should be familiar on some level of code in general. Oh, yeah. Most they're, of the time. coders. Yeah, bunch exactly. Of geeks, a lot of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, we get goodness. servers and stuff. Nerds. And when you say it's, yeah. it's JavaScript on a server, I mean, essentially yeah. it's JavaScript on a computer, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's JavaScript. Basically, it, it allows you to write everything you want to write in JavaScript. So for me, my introduction to Node started out as like web services, but I have a background in robotics. And so I started playing with JavaScript on robots. So like, and that that's where Node also is useful because I can run Node on a robot and then use JavaScript to program it and, and make it do whatever I want. We're so going to come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we so, could do a whole episode about that. We really could. <laughs> you know, my experience of Node is it, it seems very similar to, to kind of how Python works. It's all mm-hmm. command line interface, isn't it? It's like just for running kind of JavaScript apps sort of in a, in a sort of terminal. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one way of using it, right? You can also yeah. use it as a backend server. You can use it yeah. as an IoT interface, whatever. Like It's very easy to set it up to deliver web pages, right. isn't it? Yes, super, super easy. For me, um, kind of one of the points I try to make everywhere is that JavaScript is one of the few tools that no matter where, like, as long as you have a computer, you can access, you can play around with JavaScript because you just have to open up the developer tools in your browser and bam, JavaScript's right there. Uh, whereas, you know, Perl or Ruby or even C, you would have to install some tools and et cetera, et cetera. And so, so you work on the website at NPM. I do. Which bit of it do you do it? I am full stack. <laughs> <laughs> which is the most which means you're the only one that are um, working on it <laughs> i used to be i used to be so um yeah no now our web team is 
five people. Right. But once upon a time, I was the only person and I built the whole website and everything. So the web team is in charge of everything from design all the way down to the DevOps of our web servers. So we spin up new servers whenever we need to increase our load or change something. We um, we don't handle the databases themselves. That's what the registry team does. But we handle the APIs that talk to those registries, um, to the registry. Uh, we do all of the routing, et cetera, and then all of the front end. And like I said, the design. So like the whole gamut of a website, that's what we take care of on that. Team. Presumably it's all built on Node. Oh, yes. Course. So there's nothing else, there's no dodgy old PHP or no <laughs> hidden no, away under such <laughs> chance. There used to be some spots in our code that were either pure bash, that has been gone, uh, or um so we used couch for a while, and that is Erlang based, but we don't really use that as much, at least not on the mm. web team. And I think there's some Python in our DevOps scripts because we use Ansible, which I believe is Python-based. Yeah. But otherwise... Oh, wait, no, I think some Ruby snuck in the other day. Easy now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But it's not it's not quite as big of a thing. And, and so what's, what's your background? How did you find yourself working there? <sighs> oh, goodness. So... Uh, so you've got background in robotics. I mean, yeah. that's got, that needs a bit of explanation. Yeah. So I, so I have a degree. I have a bachelor's uh, in science of mechanical engineering. Um, I knew since high school that I was going to be in robotics. So I basically <laughs> was like, all right, so in robotics, you have three options. You can do uh, electrical engineering, computer science, or mechanical engineering. Um, electrons and I do not get along. I just really no, I can't. I just I've gotten better. We we're we're, we're on speaking terms now, but we are <laughs> not friends. Um, computer science was very mathy, and at least as a study, uh, oh. like as a course of study, I was just like, this is really boring. Yeah. I can't handle it. The academic side of computer science is just yeah. oh, it's is awful. just ridiculous. It's awful. Um, but mechanical engineering to me was like arts and crafts with big machines. Yeah. So I was like, done, let's do that. So I got my degree in mechanical engineering, but I did a lot of robotics projects, got to travel and and do robotics projects in other countries. I even started a master's program in robotics and then dropped out because it was in Italy and I really rather had the food than study. So (laughs) That just didn't work the, out. The ice cream and the coffee there <laughs> oh, was just too much. and the pasta and the... Anyway. <laughs> um, so eventually I found myself... Uh, I got a little tired of robotics. I Like I've, I've always had this kind of ebb and flow relationship with robotics. And so I, I hit an ebb moment where I was like, all right, look, I'm by myself playing with these robots. I need a little bit more interaction with people. So I... Left the robotics industry for a little while, did attempted to do a startup as a CTO, but it turns out I knew nothing, absolutely mm. nothing about startups or really technology outside of robotics. And then I, uh, that startup ran out of money, <laughs> which was kind of a blessing for me uh, mm. because it gave me an Horrible opportunity things to go through. Yeah, just to try something else. So yeah. I started playing on the internet and I was like, well, I was a roboticist. How hard can the internet be? Which was kind of the biggest mistake ever because <laughs> I thought, oh, this, this is easy. It's No, it's not easy, but it's quite easy. I mean, it's easy in some ways, but really difficult in others. Mm. I think there's a lot more moving parts than people fully understand. Once you yeah. fully understand how everything works, it's fine. But for somebody who knows absolutely zero and then you look at like the job requirements hmm. for a front end developer. Goodness gracious, like <laughs> so many, so many things that you need to know. Um, yeah. So I actually I got an internship at a, a local web company and just started working from the ground up and went to a conference. I, I started going to conferences. I went to one conference. Uh, it was a NodeConf summer camp, so I got to meet a bunch of people in the Node community. And uh, I met Chris Williams, who is the curator or was the curator of JSConf uh, US. Hmm. And um, and he was like, I was just talking to him one day and he was like, wait, 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 wait. you build robots. We need to talk. <laughs> so we <laughs> we end up. Uh, so from there, like 
I think the next year I spoke at JSConf US. It was in 2013. I think you keynoted there, Seb. Yeah. But you were remote, so we didn't I, get to meet in person. <laughs> I had a bit of trouble getting, I still have a bit of trouble getting into America, but that's, that's a different story. Yeah, no, no, uh, no worries. Covered on episode 38, I believe, if, oh. you, if you're interested. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was there as a hologram that year. Yes, you were. <laughs> and it was a mind-blowing, mind-blowing keynote talk. Um, oh, that was really fun. But I gave a talk on uh, using JavaScript to play around with artificial intelligence. Um, mm. And that was apparently also a fairly mind blowing talk. And um, sounds it from there just kind of kept doing more and interesting. So I kind of like found my way back into robotics as a result, um, started to become friends with electrons slowly yeah. as a, as part of that. Um, and sure. then just through, I think really just through conferences and meeting a ton of people is how I just started getting to know people and people got to know me. I like to tell a lot of people, it. they tell you, they say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but I like to take it a step further and it's it's not who you know. It's not just, or it's not just what you know or who you know, but it's who knows you. And the reason for that, I see the smile on your face. You're like, what? I'm just in like the cogs of turning. It's like, yeah. okay. Well, All right, because, come on, let's, let's have the explanation. Right. So joining NPM, I had nothing to do with it. Isaac was the one who reached out to me. Right. And he said, hey, I want you to be our first employee. And I remember sitting there going, how does he even know who I am? I don't understand. Like, he especially at the time, was very much considered this, like, kind of godlike being in the Node community. And I was like, oh, my goodness, he knows who I am. And it really it was because we, we had met at multiple conferences, and mm. he knew a lot of the same people that knew me. And he was asking around, like, who should my first employee be? Who should my first few employees be? And the fact that I was on the short list was just kind of amazing. Sure. So. Well, I, you know, I, w I did want to talk about the uh, the NodeBot stuff, but now you've mentioned artificial intelligence. <laughs> I sort of feel like I need to delve into that a little bit. What was your talk specifically about then? It was part of NodeBots. So the work that I did as part of the NodeBots community was very artificial intelligence-y. It was very AI slanted. Um, right. So reason... actually, we should probably explain what the NodeBots sure. community is now. Right. So the NodeBots community, it, it basically, so a NodeBot is a computer, it, it's a robot controlled with Node. Um, and for me, ask a million roboticists, you'll get a million different answers. But uh, for me, a robot is simply a machine controlled by a computer. Very, very simple. Um, which means, you know, having an Arduino with uh, connected to a little switch that then you can turn a uh, switch or toggle an LED on and off that if you use JavaScript to program that system, uh, that circuit, then that's a node bot. Now, okay. that's the easiest node bot possible. A more sophisticated, probably one of the most sophisticated robots, again, depending on your def definition of sophistication, would be one of the robots that I made, which I've done some path planning robots. I've done some multi-kinematic uh, chain robots that can kind of pick in place. So for me, artificial intelligence is just giving a machine the ability to reason about some logic. Right. Which ultimately just comes down to code. Yeah. It's not really that fancy. People are like, artificial intelligence, Skynet, robots right. are taking over the world. And I'm like, no, the robot so has it's, it's to not be really, um, <laughs> It's not really like generative algorithms or genetic not algorithms or um, it's just a sort of series of conditions that yeah. create... I mean, I think you could argue that a neural network might be the closest thing to uh, something that's not quite human driven, just because, mm. you know, that's that's an adaptive learning tool uh, or algorithm rather that then a robot can reason about, OK, so cat versus dog, give it enough images of what's a positive of one and a false uh, positives and false of one and positives and false falses of the other and et cetera, et cetera. And then it'll. Yeah eventually be able to discern the difference between a cat and a dog. There are more interesting things, of course. Um, I've attempted to play around with simultaneous uh, localization and mapping, which is um, SLAM, if you've heard of that. Uh, but that is a really, really hard problem. Anyway, my whole role in the NodeBots community was to see how far we could push 
these really simple robots into the kind of sector of robotics research as it currently exists. Having a, a background in robotics, which is very different from most NodeBots community members, they tend to be programmers who are who like JavaScript but want to play with hardware. I was the, one of the few who came in from a, I know hardware, I'm trying to play around with some JavaScript type of thing. And so yeah. that was a really, it was a really fun time. So what's the this, this sort of standard setup then? So let's say I did want to set up my toggle switch and make the LED turn mm-hmm. on. Yeah. What do you need for that? So I would argue all you need is your computer. Yeah. And to make things just easy, get a SparkFun Inventors Kit or similar. Yeah. Just yeah. you need an Arduino, uh, a, a USB cable, A to B, that will connect your Arduino to your computer, um, a breadboard, a few jumper cables, a button, and an LED. And So, so yeah. you always need an Arduino presume uh, most of the stuff you've done is through Arduino and I'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. Johnny 5? Yes. I use There's Johnny everything 5. Johnny 5? It doesn't have to be. There are a lot of people who so there are other libraries out there uh yeah. that are not Johnny 5. Uh there's one Cylon JS. There's uh there's some people who have kind of rolled their own via Node Serial Port, which is kind of the crux of everything. Node Serial Port yeah. is what allows you to talk to the serial via Node. Um, and Johnny, Johnny five builds on top of that. What I love about Johnny five though, is that it was created by a board member of jQuery. And so it feels like jQuery when you're, when you're writing it, it's like declare a servo and you're like var servo equals five dot servo pin number 13 or no pin number eight or something. And then you'd be like servo dot two and then give it an angle and boom. So the the thing (laughs) that, that is often missed. Mm Mm-hmm in my experience with this setup is that actually the, the JavaScript is running on the computer, isn't it? Yes, it and, is. And so the Arduino's got firmware, it's Fermata, isn't it? Yes. Which was originally made for processing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's sort of firmware on the Arduino that's designed to r- respond to messages and mm-hmm. send back messages. So you can kind of access all the pins as right. though you were on the Arduino, but really what's going on under the hood is lots of serial messages. Yes, exactly. It, it's um, Johnny5 talks to Node Serial Port, or goes via Node Serial Port. Uh, so Johnny5 turns the JavaScript into Fermata, and then Fermata gets thrown across uh, via Node Serial Port to the Arduino. And since Fermata talks to Fermata, then that's pretty easy. You can be like, I don't, I don't know or, what the sin, what Fermata, what the actual protocol for the serial data is at all. Do you, do you I, know? I've seen no it? idea. No, nope. yeah, it's just nope. like magic. I, am, I like magic happening. So that I yeah. don't have to deal with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been using Raspberry Pi Node on Raspberry Pi recently, mm-hmm. and it's quite nice to to actually be running the JavaScript on the machine that it's running on like i i kind of see fermata as an interesting way to get started mm-hmm. but i i kind of feel like it's it's not really a a standalone thing is it it's a, a peripheral yeah. <laughs> it's it, it, it something totally that's is. um and and actually it's weird because when i started with arduino all those years ago i actually only really wanted it as a peripheral <laughs> Right. Because I wanted to be able to push big buttons and have lights turn on mm-hmm. when when I was playing like my flash games or make installations or whatever. Right. And it was only once I started messing around with Arduino that I realized that you could program it and then take it away from your computer and it would still work. Right. Yes. Yes. But and with so- Johnny Five, you can't really do that can't really do that, which is a, a bit of a shame for when you want to take that next mm-hmm. step, isn't it? But I'm finding with Raspberry Pi that we're almost at that. Well, we are at that mm-hmm. step, right? Yes. Because you can run Node on Raspberry Pi. You can even run Johnny Five on it. But that totally confuses me, though, right? <laughs> because Johnny Five is designed entirely to talk over a serial port to an Arduino, and now you've mm-hmm. got it actually running on the board directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it just broke my head a bit too much. So I, <laughs> yeah, well, I've I been think- looking more at the direct access. Um, packages for for the gpios on on raspberry pi yeah so i think that the that johnny 5 is really meant to be more of a syntax option and less of a Mm. of a framework for how to talk to a machine i know i know rick uh who created johnny 5 uh rick waldron he he started out 
just wanting to play with the Arduino because that was what he had. It was available. It was easy. Um, just let's I mean, just see no if we can do it. There's no doubt, is there, that yeah. at the time it's the best, it was the best way to get JavaScript to exactly. talk through electronics, wasn't it? I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no criticism there. And I think that actually just to get JavaScript is excited about electronics is really cool. Yeah, definitely. But now there are actually lots of add-on libraries that you can use with Johnny yeah. 5 to talk to. Displays and servos and... I was going to say Spark, but now it's like Particle and, and yeah. It's oh, like, right, yeah. So you can actually use it with different microcontrollers. So you can use it with Raspberry Pi, uh, the Particle whatever particle makes now. Oh, um, what is it? Is it an electron? Yes, the particle electron. Um, um, so how does that work on a particle? So particle electron is, it's another um, prototyping platform, but it's mm-hmm. got Wi-Fi built in. But mm-hmm. you, you program it over the particle website, right? And it That's sends the data. That's one way to do to, it. So it turns yeah, out that there's actually... You can actually, connect directly to it as yes, well. Yes, you can. Um, and by the same micro USB that you would use for like charging it, you can actually talk to it directly. Um, you can circumvent the the cloud piece, uh, which right. I know that there's a module out there that has figured out how to do that. <laughs> how okay, exactly so, does it? I'm not sure. So you're programming it directly. So so um, so when you're running Johnny Five with a, an electron, mm-hmm. the code's still running on your computer, though, is it? Or I believe it is, but I know that there are other options to get it to just put it on. And then you can like take it away. Cause I know like the Tessel, so Tessel 2, yeah. which is yet another microcontroller, another platform. Um, yeah. You can, you can write all the code and then save it to the particle or to the, the Tessel. And then yeah, so you can. The Tessel's different again, isn't it? Because yes, I think they've got their different. own runtime. <laughs> it's an ARM chip, isn't it? And they've written. Mm-hmm. Now, is Tessel the one where he's got a, a Lua runtime on the chip and he's translating the JavaScript to Lua. Or is that the, yes. or is that the Esperino? Uh, no, I think, I think that, it's the Tessel, isn't Tessel, it? And I think that was Tessel it's 1. very clever. I think right. Tessel 2 has actually changed a bit and is uh, allows it has, has a JavaScript runtime on the board. Right. And I know Esperino was also a JavaScript on the board. But they're both, they're both different. Like yeah, they're all different. JavaScript engines. Every single one of these is totally different. You know, and then then you've got um, uh, BeagleBone, which is yeah. yet different. <laughs> that, that's, isn't BeagleBone like a computer, like the Raspberry Pi? That's yes, a Linux computer. It is. It is. And that's one of the few. Uh, that's that's one of the few where you can have Node and Johnny Five running on the BeagleBone, um, mm. and then you can kind of. Make all so that's, that that's sort of the same in the same way that you would do that on a Raspberry Pi. The Johnny Five code is running on Node.js on that specific computer. Yeah. But there's a little extra add-on thing as mm-hmm. part of Johnny Five that sort of translates that code to talk directly to those GPIOs on your specific computer that you're running. Yeah. Which is it's just fine, you know. That's that's cool. Um, <laughs> it just it it felt like there was a lot of stuff. But to be able to run Informata that I'm mm-hmm. not using anymore, and and I mm-hmm. guess, I guess I just wanted something a bit simpler. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I think we're still in the early stages, which is funny because yeah. I've been doing this for like three years now. But I think we're still in the early stages of people mm. playing around with this and finding more abstraction layers to just make it as easy as possible to get people playing. I think one of the biggest barriers to entry for people playing with hardware, especially, is that, oh, God, oh, God, what if I blow something up? And it's like, <laughs> I think that there's are... probably not going to happen. I haven't done that yeah. for a while now. Exactly. Um, one thing that Chris Williams likes to do is he likes to give everybody a nine volt battery and just say, touch it to your Lick tongue. that. Yeah, lick it. And people are like, Whoa! I hate that feeling. That's... <laughs> That's just mean. Like, are you telling me that that would cure your fear of electrons? Because I don't think it would do anything for me. No. It's like... I, I mean, I haven't done it. So there was that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I did time, when I was a kid, right? When you're yeah. a kid, you do that. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that I think I think the, the thing to say there is this is probably going to be the most dangerous thing that you do. What? Licking the battery? Yeah. Like, oh, right, okay. like in terms of like like the after effects of what could possibly go wrong, that's kind of the most dangerous thing that can happen. And 
And, you know, you, you realize that you have to physically put a battery onto your tongue to give yourself that, you know, to make well, that happen. I mean, you can quite easily blow up, like, pins on the Arduino oh, and sure. Raspberry Pi, right? If you just... Well, the Raspberry Pi, even worse, you know, all you've got to do is connect it to the five volts. And that's it. Your GPIO pin is just gone. Oh. Then. But, um... So that's yeah. a bit, you know, especially because I'm about to run a load of Raspberry Pi electronics workshops. But I guess that's why the Pi Zero is so revolutionary, right? Because mm. it's like, ah, whatever, throw it away, get a new one. Not that they're particularly plentiful in plentiful supply at the moment. <laughs> I'm having such trouble oh. just getting enough. <laughs> are they oh. located in the UK? I feel like yeah, they are. Yeah. The, the Pi Foundation are based in Cambridge. It's their, mm. it's their uh, is it their fifth birthday or their fourth birthday? Anyway, it's their birthday, like Aww. coming up around now. I'm not sure when this episode will go out, but it'll be around <laughs> now. Um, and I'm going, so um, Yay, I'll, that'll be fun. I'll, I'll have to do some some special Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. style reportage. And <laughs> well, all I'm thinking is just just go over there and kind of knock on their door until they give you everything you need. Well, I know loads there. of people there, and and they're all <laughs> keeping really tight lips. It's like Oh man, don't you know who I am? I've just got to get in the queue with the normals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. it's really annoying. They're like, nope, you can only have one. Like, Damn it! I'm just getting all my friends to order them. <laughs> have you have you seen a Pi Zero? No, I haven't. You, I, I haven't. guess they're in even shorter supply over there. Oh yeah, I mean, now that said, the Tesla, uh, the Tesla crew is located probably about six blocks away from me. Um, yeah, so, so you've got loads of tessels. I've, That's yeah. not a problem. That's I'm easy. All sorted for tessels. I've just got no pi zeros. Yeah. Although, although when the when the Tesla two first came out, they would they would kind of like show it to me, mm. and then they put it back in their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, hold on, I wanted to see that. It's like, no, no, no. I can I can do that with my pi zero. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I just laser cut this baseboard. So nice. It's pretty cool. Anyway. That's going to work really well on, on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll cut this bit out. <laughs> I probably won't. Um, so what do I, I wanted to talk about Node, okay. right? Because, yeah. um, you know, I've, done, I've worked in Node quite a bit on and off mm-hmm. for a few years, but I've, I think I've done the most work that I've ever done. And I think particularly with the Raspberry Pi, it was quite interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, as part of my preliminary research, I just had to set, figure out, is it possible to do all the things that I need to do? You know, because I'm converting my workshop from Arduino to Raspberry Pi. Mm. So it's like I've got these 8 by 8 LED matrices. I've got seven segment displays, OLED displays, LCD displays, temperature sensors, knobs, buttons, LEDs, you know, mm. NeoPixels, the whole lot. And so I did a quick scan and I quickly realized that pretty much every single one of those things had been uh solved right there'd mm-hmm. been someone on the internet they'd got their node package their npm package whatever mm-hmm. to, to do this bit of hardware and it was like oh great well this is going to be really easy and of course when i got started it wasn't particularly easy like the first one that i downloaded just you know i tried doing npm install there's just all these errors and i had to actually end up going quite deep well initially i realized it was the wrong version of node mm-hmm there's been loads, hasn't there? And yes. They all seem quite different. Um, <laughs> and, and particularly when you're kind of interfacing with C libraries, which a lot of these were, and the whole way to interface with C in particular seems to have changed quite considerably. And now there's a new way to, to interface with C so that it should be compatible, right? Which is the NAN stuff, mm-hmm. which is also like a very confusing name. For a, for a package, yeah. right? Nan, yeah, N-A-N. I know. It's like that's, but that's fine. That's fine. It's good. It's good, good that it's there. But, well, there are other issues actually with Raspberry Pi in that when you use a package which or a module that uses Nan, that doesn't compile mm-hmm. on the default version of Node that comes with Raspberry Pi. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? I have not. It's ten ten dot twenty nine. Okay, zero dot ten dot twenty nine, and there's a bug in that distribution oh, and no. you get like a <laughs> compile error and there's a way to fix it which is basically like hack one of the constants somewhere <laughs> so of course I, I immediately found this library that worked but not um but it only worked in 10 dot something um 
And then when I upgraded Node, it didn't work anymore. So that was quite a good learning process for me because I had to then rewrite that library. I think it was for the, um, oh, it was for the ultra thin LED matrixes. I never know whether to say matrixes or matrices. I suppose it's. I think it's matrices. It should be matrices, right? But it yeah. just, I sound a bit, I feel like an idiot saying. But it's like, it's vertices, right? It's like it's technically, I know, I know it's technically correct, but it's it's technically correct in the way that you would say data as a plural, right? Or yeah, is it, it's true. I think, on. I think what we can basically say in sum is that English is an awful language and no one should ever speak it. <laughs> All yes. right. So, so yeah, anyway, where was I? So <laughs> um, I figured out how to upgrade this, uh, this module and then I always get module and package kind of confused I know the difference so package is like all the stuff mm-hmm. and a module is a single sort of node kind of library thing yeah a package is something um, you install and a module is something that you require within your node yeah. application sure yeah and that's that's how you sort of include other people's code mm-hmm. it's all wrapped up nicely yeah so I figured out how to upgrade this this uh, this module to to work with nan Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, it doesn't compile on most people's Raspberry Pi anymore because <laughs> that's that's the default version that comes with it. But still, it was fine and it was quite a good lesson. You know, it's like you're saying it's still early days, right? Mm-hmm. It's still new. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like although people have solved the problems, they haven't really solved them in a very robust way. They've solved the problems just to get their little demo working. Yes, that is exactly. That's, I think... To me, that's, that's the definition of uh, the Wild West of software. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think especially in with regards to hardware hacking and uh, Node and NPM, there's a lot of confusion and like, fr- frankly, there's just no process. There's no real standardization for how to create a, a package that will work on multiple versions of Node and even worse, across different operating systems. Uh, it's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly and people are still figuring it out. Um, so, do you have any advice for someone who's starting and just encountering some of these problems? Yes. Um, find other people who have also had those problems and help have them help you debug. Find a support group. Yes. It's it, always. <laughs> that's the only thing we can, we can suggest right now because there's so many tasks that need to be completed first like the the yak must be shaved every which way (laughs) before we can get to a point where if you install a package regardless of your version of node regardless of your operating system regardless of your use case it will work (laughs) so yeah yeah so how many i mean you've obviously got a lot of packages yes on it how many let me find out have you got it says on our website we have we have 244,339 total packages as of today, <laughs> as of this recording. That's crazy. I know. It's a lot. No wonder, like, there's a few that are a bit rough around the edges. Oh, yes. One of the- <laughs> and part of the problem is just the, the scale of it, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the biggest, biggest tasks, which, again, we're shaving every, we're shaving at least seven or 12 yaks um, every day <laughs> to accomplish this. Um, is the idea of discovery. How do you find a package? Just period. How do you find a package? And then once you find it, how do you know if it's going to be the right package, if it's a good enough package, if it's a package that is rough around the edges? Mm. All of these things, like I don't even think iTunes has figured out how to suggest a proper app, you know, app for downloading on your iPhone. Um, so tough problem, isn't it's it? It's super tough problem. Yeah. So that's going to be a long-term task for us just to make sure that anybody who's just getting started can say, I want to build this thing, you know, an eight by eight LED matrix. Cool. I mean, I think part of the problem is that it's just really, really popular, right? And Mm -hmm. that's kind of a really good problem. And I think that that's why you know that this technology has got legs, right? It's Mm going to, it's sort of exploding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm not worried. My job is safe. <laughs> <laughs> so ES6, what should I know about that? Oh, it looks really funky. It looks really, right. really weird. Uh, but ultimately, uh, some of it is, it looks weird. 
but it actually has it has exactly the same functionality um, as before, just minusing minus a bunch of characters. Um, <laughs> there are some really really useful things in there. The jury's still out on whether or not I like classes or not. Mm. So, so it's the new version of JavaScript, and it, it, is it fair to say that it's trying to mature a bit as a programming language? Absolutely. I so think... it's got, a, presumably, I guess, one of the major things is a better implementation for classes. Right, exactly. It's basically JavaScript evolving yet again. Um, and for me, it's currently in the stage of, so you know how any new technology, there's going to be the the bleeding cutting edge where nobody knows what it's going to be yet. And then there's the uh, alpha time period where you have a few people who are just super excited about it. And then you have beyond that, you have like the beta people who are like, okay, this is starting to come in and it's getting kind of exciting. And then it goes out en masse and you're going to start having a few people transitioning over. The betas will start saying, hey, all you regular people start playing with this. Or they'll start sneaking it into code bases when you're not expecting. And you go, mm. ah, <laughs> I didn't expect I mean, this. <laughs> it's, you know, I think I've talked about this before, but it's, it's, it feels to me like the same transition. I, I, you might know that I used to do a lot of Flash, right? <laughs> and that's, uh, that's kind of how I got, you know, somewhere in this industry as an artist. <laughs> um, and, and we went through exactly the same thing, right? Between ActionScript 2 and ActionScript 3. Right loads you know much better class i mean action script 2 is essentially javascript today mm-hmm. and action script 3 is like java right okay. it's um it's it's more class based strict data types and yeah of course exactly the same thing mm-hmm. that, that all the action script programmers went through most of them weren't computer scientists mm-hmm. you know most of them were artists who just discovered code right which yeah it's actually a really cool type of person right mm-hmm. So yeah, it was interesting to see that whole torturous process, and and I guess we're we're all set for the same thing now, right? Mm-hmm. With yeah. JavaScript. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think the transition is going to be a bit easier now than uh, perhaps in previous iterations, just because there's so much more tooling around things, and and it could just be from my vantage point uh, i mm. i work with a bunch of people who really love being on the cutting edge of everything and so i'm the type of person who even all through school refused to learn anything until it was presented to me more than once just because <laughs> i didn't i don't want to waste my time learning something that is never going to be useful to me so <laughs> i uh, i just es6 kind of started being announced and I was like, okay, great. I'm not going to worry about this. And then people started playing around with it. And I'm like, that's great. I'm not going to worry about this. And then I kid you not just yesterday, there was a pull request uh, for our code base at NPM. And one of our engineers had written a whole brand new file all in ES6. And I went, Wah! all right, fine, <laughs> fine. I'll um, learn this already. So I guess ES6 is fine if you're using the newest version of Node, Correct. right? Correct. Is it five? Uh, node four, actually, it's like four, four. point four point two point six is what I'm currently okay, using. Okay, that's, that's impressive fact checking there. Um, <laughs> and but of course you can't use it in the browsers yet. Uh, no, but you can use. There's a uh, a module that you can download called Babel, which is basically a translator from ES6 to ES5. Which ES5 is what most of us are are writing right now, and so you can write ES6. And then you can kind of just like with uh, CopyScript, which is another type of uh, another way of writing JavaScript, um, you can basically transpile it via yeah. you can transpile ES6 using Babel to get ES5 out. Um, yeah, and which which I guess is is more forgivable in this circumstance mm-hmm. than it would be for CopyScript. <laughs> Yes, right, exactly. Where, where because... do you stand on, I mean, I, my, my impression of CopyScript is that someone was using JavaScript and they're like, oh, look at all this crap everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make my, my own language and then like a compiler. So now, like one of the joys of JavaScript is that you don't have to compile it, right? Right. right. And so someone didn't like it enough that they were willing to sacrifice the fact that they didn't have to compile it anymore. Right. 
well, and so added a compiler. To me, I think the creator. So what I've seen oh, is, is that probably a friend of yours. I probably no, just insulted you. No, I don't. I don't think I know him personally, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, but I know a bunch of people who love CoffeeScript, and I actually used yeah. it once. Like in my first job in the industry, when I was in when when I was an intern, we used CoffeeScript. Um, yeah. And to me, CoffeeScript is that kind of middle language between Ruby and JavaScript. I find yeah. that Rubyists really love CoffeeScript because it reminds yeah. them of Ruby syntax, um, and and especially if they hate the JavaScript syntax, it's like ugh, forget it. I just want to play with Ruby. It, it's less context switching. Right. Especially if you're doing uh, Ruby on the back end and JavaScript on the front end, then it makes perfect sense to use CoffeeScript because then there's not as much context switching. Uh, That's one of the major reasons why Node is so popular, because people can write JavaScript on the server and on the client. Um, Yeah. That said, uh, I don't like the way that CoffeeScript's transpiler turns. I, I don't like the output of it. Right. I think it makes it's really ugly. JavaScript. And worse than that. When you're trying to debug CoffeeScript, oh. it is so hard and so mm. infuriating because the output would be of the transpiled JavaScript. And it says line 14 is where you have a bug. But if you wrote it in CoffeeScript, that bug is not going to be on line 14. It'll be on line 7, maybe. <laughs> Look at all this extra complexity exactly. you just introduced just because you don't like semicolons. Right. Or, or brackets or whatever else that I yeah. can't remember now. Right. can't so. remember what they took out. I just remember <laughs> looking at it and just being horrified. Because, yeah. you know, I guess I've always been of the opinion that, you know, I, I guess if you're just doing a little side project and you're a Rubyist and, you you know, you don't want to get into that whole JavaScript thing, it's just a little thing. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. But if it's like a big project mm-hmm. that's like your massive web service for your mm-hmm. company, you know, you've got to do it in the best thing that you've got to do. And if you... If you have to context switch, well, yeah, it's a, a bit of a pain. But actually, it's also good for your brain, isn't it? It is. I find. Yeah. I mean, I've I, I work in so many different languages, and yeah, some at first it was a bit like you know typing int into JavaScript, which I still do, and sometimes <laughs> and var into C plus plus. But that's just an extra little thing for your brain, isn't it? I think <laughs> brain, you know, exercising your brain is really important. I, I don't agree. Know, maybe, maybe I'm a purist. Um, so ES6 in the browser in a few years, do you think it will, how many years? It's going to be quite quick, isn't it? I think so. I I think so because, uh, the, uh, ECMAScript, um, TC39 is the group of people who are in charge of defining, uh, JavaScript as, as, as it evolves. Um, they're kind of the, you know, grand, I don't know, group, whatever. Um, so the point is... They're the village the, elders. Yes, they're the Oxford dictionary <laughs> of, of JavaScript. Um, it took them so long to get ES6 out, which is also known as ES2015, by the way. Yes, um, So a- anybody who hears ES6 versus ES2015, they're exactly the same thing. It's just a name change. Um, yeah, but, but for no reason. Right. Well, I think what they wanted to do, actually, is that they wanted to start coming out with annual updates to the JavaScript language. They, and they can still do that they with ES6, right? I don't know why. They, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, the point they, is... I think they're just contrary. <laughs> I, think, I think they're very pedantic. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, so, as, as opposed to like, well, we're all pedantic, aren't we? Yeah, we are. That's the sort of side effect of being a coder. <laughs> I think it's so. It's just we can't help it. <laughs> I think I completely agree. I think you'll find it's matrices. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. But the thing about ES6, or uh, sorry, TC39, is that they have, uh, amongst its members, are individuals from Google, from Apple, from Mozilla. All the major browser companies are have representation on TC39. And so they're mm. not going to agree to something unless they know that they can implement it in their browser as well. So uh, ES6 will be coming to the browser, uh, I imagine, sometime in the next year, maybe two at the most. Um, Just at all or in a, in a position where it's pretty well supported? I think... Because, don't have any of them started yet. 
I don't. Is it, I think Chromium Nightly or something. Yeah, I think I think some browsers have started playing around with it. Don't right. quote me on that. I don't know for yeah. a fact, but I'm pretty sure. sure they've they've started playing around with it. And I think, um, and I think it'll be the same transition as it was from uh, ES4 to ES5. It'll be a slow transition with lots of uh, perfectly fine back. Uh, like it, you, it'll support both for a little while, and then slowly over time, it'll drop ES5 support. Um, so, if you're a front end JavaScript, you, mm-hmm. you're not in any massive rush to to make that switch, are you? Not, not yet. But then again, two years to me, two years from a I am 31 years old standpoint is a super short period of time. But two years from a I've been working at a startup for two years is like forever. So no, you have plenty of time, <laughs> but don't, don't like completely ignore it anymore. It's now just at keep, the point. Just keep, keep an eye on it. Yeah, exactly. When somebody puts a pull request in with ES6, don't sit there and scream and, you know, uh, close your ears and shut your eyes and go into the corner and say, no, 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 I'm not, not going to do this. I'm not paying attention. Like, just read the damn pull request. And just, just learn. learn some stuff. Just learn just it. Just learn, learn stuff. I mean, you, if you didn't, <laughs> you didn't want to learn new stuff, you shouldn't be working with computers. Yeah. And certainly not the web. <laughs> yeah. New framework well, of the well, week. <laughs> it's been really a real delight. I think we should wrap it up though. Yeah. I, I've got, we've been yapping on for quite a while, but that, I guess that means... It was fun. No, it really so. was such a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, thank you so and much. It was great to hear <laughs> all about your work and and to hear from an expert about all the latest developments in Node <laughs> and NPM. Thanks. We must do it again. Yes, definitely. We can talk more about robots next time. Oh yeah, let's do that. Have you got anything to plug or anything? Um, I mean, just npmjs.com is where you can find out all the great things about Node and NPM. Um, definitely check out nodebots.io. Uh, okay. There's an international Nodebots Day every July. So um, I know it's only February, but if Nodebots is something you want to play with, even if you have zero Nodebots experience whatsoever, Nodebots Day is this international event where everybody around the world who goes to one of these events, obviously, um, builds Nodebots at exactly the same time. It's kind of like a big... Uh, make-a-thon. It's not a hackathon in the sense of like there will be prizes or anything like that, but it's just community-driven. Everybody come together and try to feel like Prometheus turning on uh, the fire <laughs> via an LED for the first time. Um, it's Which is fun. always an absolute joy, of course. Isn't it the greatest? Um, on Twitter, you're Rockbot. <laughs> I'm Rockbot on Twitter. Um, and uh, if you really want to visit my website, it's uh, <laughs> uh, Rockbot without the O's. So R-C-K-B-T dot M-E. That's cool. What's on your website? Anything? Um, my blog. <laughs> I blog sometimes. <laughs> also, if you want to contact me, uh, that's where all my contact information is. So, Great. yeah. But Twitter is the best way to reach me. So Cool. And uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's been brilliant. Yes. Thank you, thank you so much for inviting me. This was super fun. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Creative Coding Podcast with me, Seb Lee Delisle. Please consider supporting us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash creative coding. Or you can find out more about us at our website, ccpod.co. If you listen to us on iTunes, then please leave a review. That's also incredibly helpful to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.